Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast. My name is David and I'm the CEO here at Church Home and I'm so glad that you joined us today. In just a moment, you're gonna hear an encouraging message from Judah around the person of Jesus and his love for you. And hey, if we can serve you in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out and chat with a pastor on our pastor chat tool, which you can find on our website or on the Church Home app. And if you've been impacted in any way, by this message, we wanna invite you to join those who so generously give to tell the story of Jesus across this globe. Go ahead and visit us on churchhome.org give or text the word generosity to 97,000. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this message. Hey church, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, wherever you are in the world, uh, Here's what I always like to say. Please brace yourself for good news. I got some good news. I got a message prepared for you that I'm really excited to share. Ultimately, it is gonna end with the big idea. There is a God, he loves you. He has revealed himself completely, thoroughly, and utterly in the person of Jesus. And uh, boy, I got news that is so good. There's a God who loves you, chose you, has you on his mind all the time. Wherever you are, if you feel alone, if you feel worried, if you feel discouraged, if you feel distraught, if you feel overlooked, wherever you are, I just want to say right now, you are of infinite value before God, and He loves you, and He chose you. And here's one of my favorite parts. He's for you. He's for you. I said this the other day to my buddy on the phone. I got your back. I mean, God's got your back. But the truth is, he's got every angle and every side of you covered, and he loves you. Today, I want to talk to you about this idea of striving. And what we're going to do is we're going to compare two concepts, striving versus trusting. And by now, of course, you're going to discover that, uh, well, by now, eventually, you're going to see in this message that I want you and I to live a life of trust not a life of strife. And uh, if maybe the title Striving Versus Trusting brought you here, great, because I certainly know the feeling. Um, Nothing like feeling like you're trying to take your whole life into your own hands and figure it all out and navigate it all by yourself. That's essentially striving. But then again, there's nothing like putting all of your life and all of its moving parts and circumstances and challenges and pleasures and pains and putting them in God's hands, striving versus trusting. So we're gonna go to uh, the old scripture. We're gonna go to what is the Old Testament, can be called the Jewish scripture, the Jewish Bible. And our story begins in Genesis 15, Genesis 16, 2021, all in the very first book authored by Moses, a part of what is called the Torah. It's here we're told the story of Abram and Sarai, who will be Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 15, Abram is in a place and God decides, I choose this man. I choose this man. Now, God speaks to Abram at about 70 years old and ish, and he says, listen, I'm gonna make you a great nation. From your seed, from your lineage, from your line, I am going to architect and build my own country to show my character and who I am to the world. Now, the challenge is, at this time, God chose a couple who couldn't have kids. He chose a couple that didn't get pregnant. Again, 
Genesis 15, it's not like God is speaking to a boy or a young man. He's speaking to an older man. And he says, I am going to give you, you want a kid? Are you kidding me? I want to give you millions of kids. It's going to be amazing. And then a decade goes by. Abraham, no doubt, is pumped. He's excited. Months go by. A year goes by. Five years go by. And now a decade has gone. And Abraham and Sarah, you can imagine them waking up and having some granola and yogurt. And they're talking. Sarah says, I got an idea. Abraham says, what is it? I know how we can help God with that thing he told us he was going to do for us. Abraham goes, what do you mean? Well, Hagar, you know Hagar who works for me full time. Um, she can have kids. Why don't you, Abraham, have sex with Hagar, who works full time here at our house? Why don't you have sex with her and she can have a kid and we can raise the kid as ours? And she was just trying to figure out how she could help God do what he said he would do. So the story goes, and if you know the Old Testament, it says, and Abraham went into Hagar. I know it's a little gory, a little too detailed and awkward, but it's the truth. It's in the Bible. It's how our whole sermon begins. And sure enough, 11 years after God told Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to make you so great, and you're going to have so many kids, you're going to be a whole country, and it's going to be incredible, Abraham and Sarah take things into their own hands, and they have a son, Ishmael. But Ishmael will not be the son that God has promised. In fact, Ishmael's born and, you know, Abraham is, let's call it 84, 85, 86, something like that, the scripture insinuates. Isaac won't be born until Abraham is 100 and Sarah's in her 90s, but it will happen. So suddenly now you have a couple who has an Ishmael and they have an Isaac. Ishmael is the boy they kind of manufactured, if you will, through circumstance and situation. Isaac is the miracle boy. Ishmael is, here's a woman, have sex with her, let's make a kid. Isaac is impossible, no chance, no way. Sarah gets pregnant. That's not going to happen. Abraham's 100. Sarah's in her 90s. Those people don't have babies. That's just not how it works, not even thousands of years ago. But here's Isaac. He's born, and the name Isaac means laughter. And they laughed at the miraculous provision and fulfillment of God's promise. But later we'll find in Galatians 4, and I'll read that passage at the end of our sermon today, that Ishmael and Isaac are a metaphor. Ishmael is a picture of what, what happens when we take things into our own hands and try to, here's a concept, help God. Now that's funny, isn't it? Help God. I was saying to a friend yesterday, literally, I was like, Jesus is our Superman. But by the way, if you need to help Superman be super, he's not super anymore. Does that make sense? Like, hey, man, the other day, you know, Superman's cape was a little wet, and so we dried it off so that he could fly. I was kind of helping him out. Well, you're not super if you can't fly in rain. You're not super if you need help from normal people like us. So what makes God super is he is God all by himself, and he doesn't need any 
everybody else. But how often do you and I try to help our Superman be super? It's striving. We take things into our own hands. We get a sense that God's chosen us or he's in our life and we're thinking, man, I really want to do this. And it's delayed. If you're like me, it's delayed. And for Abraham and Sarah, it was delayed. It had been a decade, God said, and they're not getting any younger. They're getting older. And I don't blame Sarah. I know the feeling. She's like, wait a minute, I had this thought today. I have Hagar. You can sleep with Hagar. She's younger. She's fertile. She can have a kid. And maybe that's what God wanted us to do. And they take matters into their own hands. And yet several years later, God's like, I didn't need your help. Here's Isaac. So now you have Ishmael and you have Isaac. You have striving and you have trusting. Which is better? Which is the way of peace? Which is the way of rest? Which is the way of fulfillment and enjoyment and depth and buoyancy and life? Well, come on. You don't even have to be a Jesus worshiper or a Jesus follower. You could be just a curious onlooker and listener today watching this message of a preacher in a mint green double-breasted jacket wondering what's going on here. And you and I both know, come on, that a life of just reliance and trust is just clearly, even by you know face value, far better than a life of striving. And yet, if we're not careful, our culture seems to point us more in the direction of God helps those who help themselves, which again is ironic because how can God be God if he needs us to help him or help ourselves? God, one of the things that make the divine the divine is this idea of all sufficiency. So God is all sufficient. It is quite literally one of the qualities and characteristics that make him God. So the moment we think we have to help God or make God's plans for our life work with our own conniving, plotting, planning, and in some cases maneuvering and manipulating, well then that's not God because God is God all by himself. He is sovereign. He is sufficient by nature and definition. So the truth is, the best thing we can do in this life that was created by the divine and ultimately for our connection to the divine is trust, is trust. Well, what's trusting? What's well, just the opposite of striving? Instead of taking things into our own hands, we are placing things in God's hands, right? We're placing our expectation of all the things around us in God's hands. Quite literally, I actually mean this. I, I have done this in daily guided prayers in our community. We did a daily guided prayer I did uh, live on Instagram. We're gonna do more of those. And I actually asked everyone with me, like open up your hands and whatever you're going through, your anxiety, your fear, your worry, like place it in your hands, see it there and say out loud, God, I give you my frustration with my spouse. You know, why was that the one that came out of my heart? You know, <laughs> I give you my children. No, literally take them, God. No, I'm kidding. You know, you know what I mean? But like, you know, actually letting go placing things in God's hands. Another scripture I want to give you just before we um, dive a little bit deeper into our topic today is the scripture that says, cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. Cast them. So 
It's not like it's got to be this perfectly plotted, placed, you know, pain that you give God or circumstance or purpose or plan you give God. You can just cast. You can throw. God, help me. Oh, I just need all. And you can cast. So it's, it's messy. It's impulsive. It's honest. It's just telling God, oh, God, help me stay married. Oh, God, help me be a dad today. I'm exhausted. I'm fatigued. I'm confused. Yeah, my dad did his best. I'm trying my best. Ah! As opposed to, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to be the all-sufficient dad that I need to be. No, I, I, I love saying to my teenagers, teenagers, somebody pray for me. Hey, I've never done this before. I've never been your dad before and you're 18, and you're 16, and you're 13. This is hard. So instead of taking things into my hands, my advantage in life and your advantage in life is placing things in God's hands. So when you think about the two, what do you do more? Do you take, take things into your hands more, or do you place things in his hands more? What defines your daily life more? I mean, on an average Wednesday, on a normal Monday, on a silly little Saturday, what are you doing more? You're constantly in your head about, I gotta do this, I gotta make sure I do this, and I gotta do that, and you ever been just almost asleep in your bed, and then it dawns on you, you forgot to send the text, the email, the call, the phone call, follow through, do your thing, forgot your supplement, forgot your greens juice, forgot your workout, and you're like, oh man, I gotta do that. And suddenly you're up for another hour laying in your bed, kind of letting your head spin and all the thoughts fill your mind. And you're like, this, 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 and your to-do list, your challenges. And, and this kind of like this um, whittling. It's kind of like this, it's, it's, um, it's kind of like, you know, when things are loading on the internet, you know, it's like all of a sudden, this is what you're starting to do. This is what you're starting to do. This is what you're starting to do. And striving is almost a synonym with stress, isn't it? It's just posture of like, okay, you know, if it's, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Says who? Says who? I love how, um, how enamored we are with our sports heroes, you know, in this life, or even the great artists in this life. And what us Americans, I know everyone watching here is not from the United States of America, but us Americans are kind of known for this idea of we, we love to propagate around the world that our outstanding artists and athletes are just people who worked the hardest and tried the most. Nope. Nope. Um, have you ever seen Shaquille O'Neal? Did you ever watch Bo Jackson run the football or hit a baseball? Those makeups and DNAs and bodies are different than maybe yours or mine. In other words, they were God-given. It's a gift there and a grace there. Oh, the diligence of our elite athletes and beautiful artists and entrepreneurs and inventors is extraordinary. But God-given talent is undeniable. God-given frame and body and makeup, undeniable. Y'all know how much I love Bobby Wagner, one of the great linebackers in the history of the NFL, certainly the best linebacker maybe in the history of the Seattle Seahawks. Shout out to K.J. Wright as well and others. But if you look at K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner, and gentlemen, you know I love you both. God gave them frames and figures and muscles. He didn't give me. I hug Bobby Wagner, and it's not like hugging anybody else. It's like, wow, you are 
an incredibly built human. It's God-given. God gave these gifts as he's given you and me. So let's not get it twisted. Let's not get it confused. This life isn't what we make of it. It's a gift. It comes from God. Are we going to put more things in God's hands this year? Are we going to take more things into our own hands this year? Are you going to be an Ishmael? Or are you going to be an Isaac? Are you going to give birth to more things that you manufacture? Or are you going to relinquish and trust that God will manifest his promises in your life at his right timing? A buddy of mine who hasn't yet decided what he believes about Jesus, and he's a dear friend of mine. I love him so much. And he was saying how they avoided this big catastrophe in his business. And I said, man, God is good. And he said, well, it almost didn't happen. We almost lost everything and it was bad. And I said, well, you know, for what it's worth, these old preachers used to say that God is always on time, but he's never early. He's never early. Like, you know, no one's ever like, man, God has just done everything in my life earlier than I thought. You know, that's rarely the story that I hear. It's usually a lot like Abraham and Sarah. God's like, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a kid. And you think you want one kid? I'm going to give you millions. And then a decade goes by and you're having breakfast with your wife. And she says, why don't you sleep with Hagar? And you go, I mean, it's been 10 yeah. And that's the reality of life, isn't it? You get this sense that God's saying this, that, and the other. You always have an opportunity. And I don't know what it is, but if like one of the goals of life is God's number one choice for our life. What's God's top choice for our life? It seems, and I can't prove this, and take this with a grain of salt, really just my opinion, but it seems like the number two option always comes just before God's best option. And you get that temptation. Should I just, I just do this? Should I just do this or should I trust? And I, this might sound silly and this might be bad advice. And honestly, please don't take this as the rule for everyone. But I, I oftentimes will tell my kids, particularly my young boys as they're growing up now and the concept of romance and love and marriage is very real. And it's like, hey, you know, boys, in my experience, kind of the second best option oftentimes kind of comes around just before you meet the best option. Just be aware of it. Just think of it. And oftentimes that's how life is. And here's our opportunity. Are we going to trust it in God's hands? Or are we going to take things into our own hands? God is very gracious, but striving makes room for three things. And I want to articulate this briefly. Number one, Striving makes room for comparison. Makes room for comparison. Makes room for complication. And then it makes room for criticalness. What I have noticed, when I take things into my own hands, I become complicated, comparative, and critical. All of a sudden, stuff starts to get dramatic in my life. And I think one of the reasons of this is the layers of self-sufficiency kind of build upon each other and suddenly you have this extraordinary pressure for performance-based living. Does that make any sense? Um, suddenly, things just get complex. 
If it's meant to be, it's up to me. So suddenly now I'm like, okay, wow, what are all the things I need to do? And then that complicated, dramatic perspective naturally leads to what? Well, who else is doing what? And how do they do it? And are they good at it? And so you look around and you start to look at other hands and how they handle their own life. And if you're not careful, you end up admiring human hands more than God's hands. Man, if I just did it like them and if I had their mentality and their outlook and their perspective and their attitude, when, when in a lot of ways God has asked you to walk along your own path and your own journey that he will guide you and he will show you. For some people, it's to move to Cambodia. For some people, it's to invite your neighbor over for a football game and some burgers, right? But if you see the man who's left everything to move to Cambodia and you compare it to you making burgers for your neighbor, well, all of a sudden, the man who moved to Cambodia and the man who moved next door to bring a burger to his, how can you compare? And so striving perpetuates. We got to travel more. We got to do more. We got to, right? I mean, they say the old, the old concept is that you're totally content until you realize the Joneses have something better. You ever heard that old saying that was said to Napoleon? Napoleon, don't be jealous of Caesar, for Caesar was jealous of Alexander, and Alexander was, was jealous of Zeus, and Zeus never existed. Which is to say it's never-ending, right? We, we, we deify these human beings who've taken life into their own hands, and yet they are motivated, and eventually you play out the motivation of comparison and comparing yourselves amongst yourselves, and I want to be at this point, I want to be at this point, I want to be at this point, and eventually it gets to a dead end because someone was admiring a fictional character that was invented by another human being to explain stuff. It's empty. It's hollow. Your life isn't to be a life of comparison and competitiveness. It's to be a life of trust and rest. Your life isn't supposed to be a life that is complicated, complicated by self-sufficiency and master of your own destiny and commander of your own journey, which leads to, well, criticalness. And here's what happens. It's happened to me, right? Suddenly, things get dramatic, complicated. I start comparing, and then you start to get critical. And one of the signs of striving is you, you set yourself up as quality control. You notice that? You have the quality control. I don't mean any disrespect, but if you are one of those people that participates in criticism online, this sermon's for you, man. I love you. I love my family and my friends, and I love myself, but I've been there, right? By the way, I don't mean to throw shade on everyone who goes online because sometimes we go in our own head, but man, you start articulating things online and Research was done by an organization recently in this country, and one of the synonyms with Christianity for a lot of onlookers in this country is judgmentalism. It's like, it's like our middle name, right? And 
That's not the way it was intended to be. Where does that come from? It comes from strife. It comes from comparison. It comes from the average human pursuit of what in this country we call the American dream, which oftentimes can turn into the American nightmare, right? God doesn't want your life complicated, full of comparison and criticalness. So then what's the other option? Essentially, what I'm saying is you take everything that you've taken into your hands by the help of his spirit, his wonderful, wonderful, soft, compassionate ways, you start to place it in his hands. And that's how I want to end this sermon. What does trust do? All right, all right, we we kind of um, uh, jumped into a little bit of what striving can do, but what does trust make room for in your life? And by the way, God can override all of these complexities and challenges, but these are just thoughts that I am putting out there to provoke you. And then as we conclude, I wanna read Galatians chapter four because you'll actually see that the New Testament speaks directly to how Ishmael's a picture of striving and Isaac's a picture of trusting. One is I'm gonna make the promise of God happen and the other is I'm gonna marvel as the promise of God happens. Which one are you? Here's how trust works. When you start to place the whole of your life into the hand of God, Here's the first thing it makes room for in your life. Truth. All of a sudden, truth. Judah, what do you you mean trust makes room for truth? Trust is the truth. Trust is the truth. What do you mean? Um, Your heartbeat, your teeth, your eyes, your hair, your skin, your organs, your spleen, your pancreas. Trust. You're a whole ball of trust. That's all you are. (laughs) Come on. You ever been there where you all of a sudden get a little bit? I know there's like technical terms in our culture of people that are kind of like worried that their body isn't going to work right and kind of get obsessed with it. But you ever gone down that little portal, gone down that little slippery slope inside of your head where it's like, what if my heart stopped? What if my blood was compromised? What if my organs stopped working? What if I couldn't, you know, use the restroom? What if I couldn't hear? What if I couldn't see? What if I couldn't taste? What if I couldn't eat? What if I couldn't keep food down? What if I couldn't... I mean, all of the things, I'm not trying to stress you out. This is the opposite of that in this sermon. But do you know how many things that could go wrong just in your body? Why don't you keep track of all of that? Because you can't. You have to trust. Watching the news is fine. But it's rarely good. And it's rarely great. And it's rarely beneficial. Right? Because if you're like me, I hear about all of these. I mean, I, I, I watch the news sometimes and I hear about stuff that could go wrong with my body that I never even knew. I didn't even know. A friend of mine and I were at a party the other night and he looked at me and he's like, we, we are all someone in the news that tragically just dropped dead from cardiac arrest. And he looked at me and said, we are all one heartbeat away from this life being over. In some cases, there's no explanation. What? Trust is the truth. This idea that you're the master and commander of your own life, that's just not true, is it? 
It's just not true. I don't even know all the names for my vertebrae, right? It's like, you know, your L1. I'm like, I'm sure that's the top one. You know, like, I mean, I'm like, spleen. What's the shape of your spleen? I'm like, I don't know. I know the shape of my heart. You know, it looks like Valentine's Day. When in reality, I've seen the heart. It doesn't really look that, but like, we don't even, I don't know the shape of my organs. I can't remember all the names of my organs. Trust? Yeah. You know, it's wild in high school or junior or middle school or junior high school. Like, if you don't pay attention in biology and science class, your body still works. You don't even have to learn the names and functions. Your body just keeps on working. Come on, come on, come on, come on. All right, it's the new year. Let's talk about this, right? We're only several weeks into 2023. You know what? You know what stinks in this life is that you and I all have at least one friend who eats whatever they want and they look like they're gonna go out for a new role in a new iteration of Baywatch. You know, it's just that person, right? But I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's trust. It's, we don't even explain it all, can't understand it all. The truth is, your life is trust. The, the truth is, your life is a, is a gift. And that's my next point. Trusting makes room for the truth, but trusting makes room for today. Makes room for today. Meaning, trust helps you understand what today is. And do you know what today is? Oh, sure, we've made names for each reoccurring sunset and sunrise. But do you know what today is? It's the only day you have and it is sheer gift. It's a gift. Here's the thought. You ever had this thought? Probably not. But like, if I do Tuesday really good, God will give me a Wednesday. You ever woke up on a Thursday and thought, yeah, I knew Thursday would come. I did so good on Wednesday. Your good Wednesday doesn't earn you a good Thursday. Thursday was coming whether or not you were good on Wednesday or not. It's just a gift. And trust suddenly goes, this is the truth of my reality. I am a dependent, fragile, finite being. And then trust says, and today, I didn't make the sun come up. I didn't make it go down. I didn't name the moon or make the moon. Those clouds, the blue sky, the rain, that wasn't my doing today, whatever day it is. The name of this day is gift. <laughs> the name of this day is generosity. The name of this day is present. And I don't just mean present tense, I mean a gift. It is a present to you and to me. And suddenly life, instead of another little baby step to my incredible portfolio and profound accomplishments, becomes moments and minutes to revel in the gift that I've been given. Do you see how trust perpetuates more trust? And all of a sudden, you start your day with, I can't even believe I'm still here. My heart's still beating, I don't know how. I barely remember what it sounds like, but I'm here. And you know what I get? I get a gift that's called today. Now my last point, and I'm coming to a close. I have been waiting to say this the whole time. Oh, sure, today makes room for the truth. Sorry, 
Trust makes room for the truth. Trust makes room for understanding that today's a gift. But lately, I have been so cognizant of this. Trust makes room for what I call tempering. Please hear me. Tempering. Tempering is this idea of it's almost like it, it, it just curbs the edges a little bit. And here's what I mean. Trusting God tempers the pain and the pleasure. I'm not saying it lessens the pain or lessens the pleasure, God forbid, but it tempers it, gives you perspective in it. See, a lot of people are like, I hate pain, which is another way of saying I live for pleasure. But if you've met anyone who's had enough money and enough acclaim and enough renown and enough stuff to serve themselves up whatever pleasure they want, that pleasure leads them to the pain they were avoiding. So pain and pleasure can never define our life or be the point of our life. Neither one can deliver on what they say they will. There is pain and there's pleasure. God is with you in both, but that's not who you are. You're not defined by your pain or defined by your pleasure. You're defined by what got you here. You're defined by who you are and who made you. God made you. You're the direct result of the divine. Did you hear that? You're the direct result of what is divine. You are divinely inspired. You are divinely wired. You are divinely named. You are divinely chosen. You are divinely timed. The timing of your arrival on this planet was determined by God. You really are only the result of him. And so he invites you now to live within that reality. He invites you now to embrace the truth, to embrace today and understand that when pain comes and goes and pleasure comes and goes, neither one is your purpose for living. Your purpose for living is the person of God and the people in your life. I just believe it. I want to read to you Galatians chapter 4 as we come to a close. And I love this book. And what I've shared with you today is the best of my ability based on this book. And I believe that this book has deep, invisible powers to change your life, your mentality, your outlook, attitude, perspective, and even makeup in your body. I want to read this scripture to you, which is deeply profound as it relates to striving, trusting. Ishmael and Isaac. Listen to these words. I don't have time now to explain all of this passage, but we have done our best together to dive into the topic and hopefully make some sense of it. Listen to these words as we close. Tell me, church home, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. One was from his slave wife and one from his free-born wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about 
the fulfillment of God's promise, in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. If you have never been tempted to make a human attempt to fulfill God's promise, you've been alive for about three or four weeks. For the rest of us, I'll be the first in line, and I will tell you a litany of moments and days and seasons where I tried with my own grit, strength, and determination and focus to fulfill God's promise by taking matters into my own hands. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his own promise. I'm gonna say it again. God's fulfillment of God's promise. God will fulfill what God promises. You can bank on that and you can trust in that. These two women, serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. Their first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law and were enslaved to it. Now, the other woman, Sarah, verse 26 says, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman. And listen to what he said, she's our mother. We're all called to be Isaac. We're all called to trust. You're not Ishmael, you're Isaac. And I love it because Isaac means laughter. And I'm telling you, when you're living a life of trust and things are working out and God's in control, I gotta be honest with you, there's a lot of sense of humor there. There's a lot of sense that this is kinda hilarious and I don't deserve any of this and I can't believe this is happening. And I know it sounds silly, but I'm gonna tell you again, church, people are like, do you like preaching? And I gotta be honest with you, half the time I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to hear what I'm gonna say because it's hilarious to me. I haven't earned this, deserved this, to be your preacher and to be the lead storyteller at church home and be the guy that's trying to explain this incredible historic book. I don't, I'm not qualified. I didn't deserve this. It's hilarious. I trusted God and he's given me an opportunity to live the path that he's prepared for me. So, dear brothers and sisters, verse 28 of Galatians chapter four, you are children of the promise, just like Isaac. I'm gonna say it again. You are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who wanna keep you under the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. When you live free and trusting the completion, the power, fullness of God to fulfill your life, there will be others who live stressed, anxious, fearful, and striving, and they won't like it. But don't you be deterred. You keep living in the truth. You keep living in today. You keep living in the tempering, pain or pleasure. That's not the point of life. Jesus is the point of life. And I end with this. What does the scripture say about that? It says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman will never share the inheritance with the free woman's son, which is to say you cannot earn forgiveness, you cannot warrant forgiveness, and you cannot deserve a relationship with God. All have been selfish, self-serving, sin, and fall short of the standard of the perfection of God. You'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough. You have to trust. So dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman.
You're Isaac. Don't live like Ishmael. Live like Isaac. So I urge you to do the ridiculous. You know what the ridiculous is? To trust. And I end with this. The Bible says the work, the work that God has outlined for us in the new scriptures, the new Bible, the New Testament, our work is to trust. Our work is to believe. By the way, when your trust is fledgling and your trust is waning, I give you this simple prayer. Oh God, persuade me again. Persuade me again. Divine persuasion. That's faith. That's trust. Persuade me again so that what? So that I can live in the truth that my whole life is dependent on you. So I can live in the day that I have this is the day the Lord has made, the psalmist says, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And oh, how trusting God will put my pain in perspective and my pleasure in its place. The point of it all is him. Striving versus trusting, no competition. Trust, trust, trust. That's the way of full and fulfilling life here on earth. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you. It's so fun to rehearse again your ways, which are higher than our ways, your thoughts, which are higher than our thoughts. We love you and we sense you. If you're watching this right now, wherever you are in the world, and you would like to receive the free gift and forgiveness that only Jesus can offer, this is the message, right? All you do is trust. You don't deserve it. You don't work for it. You just trust. So if you trust this Jesus as the Savior of the world and you would like to welcome him into your life as your leader and your superhero, say, I do. Just so that you can hear yourself say it. It's for your own benefit. I do. I receive you. And you are saved. And you are forgiven. And now from here, you live the rest of your life putting it all in his hands and never feeling obligated to take it into your own hands. That's freedom and the life that God has called us to. I love you, church. Thanks for watching. Look forward to seeing you soon.